This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Live from Santa Monica, California, it is a show that is not afraid to use a puppy dog as a prop to get more viewers. And also, the Supreme Court decision is in on the stalking case. What is the impact on society as a whole reporting violence against women, even reporting violence against potential other threats that go on in our society. And did the Supreme Court get it right? We'll discuss. And also, Brian Koberger is potentially facing the death penalty. We're going to talk a little bit about that. My feelings regarding that as someone who has suffered through a similar uh, conundrum in their own lives with my father. This is Moving Past Trauma Live, and this is Marisol. Testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial. In- when I was 12 years old, my testimony sent my father to prison for murdering my mother. This podcast serves as a type of therapy and reconciliation for myself, and it is my hope that it helps anyone who has experienced deception, betrayal, and dark trauma. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Trauma. Thank you all so much for joining the program. Uh, I want to start off by giving you guys a thanking all of you, my channel members, my channel subscribers, my Patreon subscribers. um, I was able to get a piece of gear that is going to make these live streams really, (laughs) really kick, uh, kick ass moving forward. I've been spending the last 24 hours learning this piece of gear and it's a lot, but it's, uh, it's really making a big difference already in my workflow. So I'm really excited. I purchased an Elgato stream deck. Uh, plus, and um, this is great for live for live shows like this one, which I have, as you guys know, twice a week right now, but maybe more. Um, but it also helps with my general workflow in creating the podcast itself. But it wouldn't be possible without you guys listening, watching, supporting channel members, super stickers, Patreon members, everything. It all goes into this program. But this is something that I've wanted for a really long time, and I finally just bit the bullet. And thanks to you guys and your generosity, I was able to get it. So big shout out and thank you to all of you for that because it's really going to help make this program just uh, just really, really awesome. So uh, uh, again, thank you so much. Uh, there's a lot of news, actually, and a lot of uh, sort of disturbing things that I've been thinking about for the last 24 hours, which is this recent, uh, well, as of yesterday, this Supreme, uh, yesterday, two days ago, this Supreme Court decision on the stalking case. Now, um, I don't know how many of you are familiar with this, uh, but you know, as you are familiar with my story, I have a lot of concern about general overall um, implications of navigating parasocial relationships, especially when it comes to women or anyone really online with a presence. But I think we can all agree that women are probably mostly affected by these types of things more so than men. Um, I myself have had several stalkers. I have a few uh, right now. And I'm sure I will receive emails after this, vitriol, venom-filled emails after this for even talking about this subject. But I think it's really important. Uh, Tara Newell and I, uh, we do Survivor Squad. We recently interviewed, uh, as of yesterday, a stalking survivor 
uh, who really went through it during the pandemic. Um, and it was, um, her story was really, really harrowing. And we had trouble getting this young woman on just because uh, of her general concern for her safety. And, um, you know, it really hits home. And it was, the, the timing was very, you know, apropos of what was going on with the Supreme Court. But uh, it really got me thinking. And uh, there is, uh, there is a lot that has to be understood with the implications of this. So I'm going to, I'm going to play a quick little video here. Um, so you guys can check this out. Now, this was a, uh, a video, a news report by ABC news where they, um, they, uh, were discussing this case. So this gentleman, uh, Billy Ray. Wow. Of course I made the print really small and I own my glasses on. There we go. Great job, Collier. Fantastic. <laughs> Billy Ray Counterman. Um, so he served four and a half years in a Colorado state prison for stalking this young woman. Her name uh, is, oh, of course, I don't even have it here. Uh, her name is uh, Coles Whalen. She was a musician in Colorado, and he became obsessed with her on um, Facebook. And continuing, started to send her messages. But we're going to listen to uh, this ABC News report because I found it very, very interesting and informative. And I'll kind of start and stop it so we can kind of cover a little bit of it. But this will give you a little bit of background on what was before the court yesterday. And we can kind of get into this whole thing. Convicted stalker from Colorado heads to the United States Supreme Court next week, asking the judges to toss out his conviction because of free speech. The man was sent to prison for sending hundreds of Facebook messages to a singer-songwriter he'd never met. She says she feared for her life. But when do threatening words become a crime? Marita Whalen says her sister, singer-songwriter Coles Whalen, is still coping with a trauma that began more than a decade ago when a stranger began sending Cole's messages on social media. We knew the whole time that the, the situation was uncomfortable and we might not have said stalking at the time, but it quickly progressed to that. The tone of the messages and the frequency changed and that's when it, we were pushed to, to seek help from law enforcement. So a couple of things I wanna, I wanna point out here. Uh, <laughs> This is already a very complex field. And, I, and look, um, there are many people who are much more suited to discuss the issues of stalking. I've tried to have them on the program today just due to the nature of this. They're unavailable. Uh, one is my good friend, Lenora Claire. There is an episode that we did together with her sharing her experience with her stalker. She is, uh, was labeled by Vice News as the Aaron Brockovich of stalking. She has done a lot to really help um raise awareness for stalking victims and survivors. And she has helped pass laws and works with the district attorney's office here in Los Angeles. And of course, around the country, she's a massive advocate. Also Tara Newell, who I was hoping would join the program today, but she couldn't, uh, but she's here in the comments uh, also had dealt with that with uh, one of you had asked about is that dirty John. And yes, uh, John Meehan had stalked not only her mother, but her family as well. And, uh, you can also see her story here. You can listen to it on Survivor Squad. We do our podcast. New episode drops tomorrow, by the way. Uh, our guest is Madeline Heather of the um, um, Reclaim Me podcast. She is an Australian-based podcaster. She has a very harrowing story 
dealing with um, her childhood and the events that happened to her. I won't spoil it, but uh, that'll be out tomorrow. So check it out. Uh, anyways, back to what I was saying. So there are many people that are obviously way more, um, uh, uh, can speak to a, a more authority than myself, but in lieu of them, I'm going to give you my sort of background into this, which is, is very difficult for people who are victims of stalking or victims of these violations of power, uh, parasocial relationships to get law enforcement to pay attention in the first place. Um, so much so that our guest yesterday, who will be on a later episode of um, Survivor Squad, was saying that uh, you know her her stalker had come about during the pandemic, and I think in a lot of ways she felt she was ignored by law enforcement, but also she was listened to by law enforcement because of the lack thereof of and the general craziness in the pandemic but she had to go very public and on social media and went viral and that's what got the authorities to respond to this including the fbi uh that is not always the case and unfortunately and in these types of situations people are afraid to even come forward with these accusations. And it's not only because they're, they're necessarily afraid for their life or their livelihood or their safety or the safety of others. There's also this massive stigma of um, shame and a stigma of that they must have done something wrong to warrant this behavior. And as someone who has been stalked actively is being stalked and has uh, dealt with stalkers in the past, I can tell you other than navigating myself in a, in a very friendly outgoing way that I do here on camera with you guys, I in no way invited any of that. Um, so it is just, uh, it, 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 it I, I think that there's a, there's a very, a, a line that we, we really we really need to delineate where law enforcement becomes experts on the behavior because they're not behavioral ex experts they're supposed to be experts on the law so when we move away when we drift away from these things where common sense sort of rules the day and at the heart of the supreme court decision was the assumption and and the conclusion based upon that assumption that anyone who is in that situation knows whether or not they are making a credible threat. So that is assuming that someone who partakes in this particular behavior has the faculties, the mental faculties to, to understand that what they are doing is wrong. What they are doing is abusive and what they are doing is triggering and terrifying to the other people involved. Um, and oftentimes I think that it has been well-documented throughout history of these types of occurrences that these people do not, whether they suffer from a mental illness, whether they have a, um, whether they have an addictive, uh, personality or they're addicted to substances that make them lose control of their faculties, uh, or not understanding what is going on, whether they have some, some sort of medical ailment that is affecting them, they still Oftentimes, and oftentimes they do understand the impact they're having, by the way, but they are able to legally lean on that. So 
it is, it, it really poses quite a conundrum because, uh, you know, the American Civil Liberties Union, as I'm going to, we'll get into playing more of this video, the American Civil Liberties Re uh, Union, which has done a really, the ACLU has done a really great job for protecting the civil liberties of Americans here. Um, but also they were very much against this gentleman's uh, conviction and incarceration. Uh, this uh, Billy Ray, um, uh, uh, Billy Ray counterman. And it, it sort of begs the question like, okay, well, where, where do you really draw that, that line? So I'm going to play a little bit more of this and uh, we'll go from there. Hey movers. Did you know that one in five Americans has learned a new language on their bucket list? If you're one of them, make 2024 the year you finally check it off with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Designed by over 150 language experts, Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are your passport to speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Real people, real conversations, that's the Babbel way. Babbel's tips and tools are not just lessons. They're companions in real-life situations. The approachable, accessible content is delivered through conversation-based teaching, ensuring you're ready to shine in the real world. Before Babbel, I couldn't imagine effortlessly ordering food, asking for directions, or chatting with local merchants, and all without consistently checking a language app while I'm on vacation. But Babbel makes it easy, providing the practical skills you need for real-life scenarios. Struggling with pronunciation? Babbel's got your back with speech recognition technology, helping you perfect your accent and sound like a native speaker in no time. Hola. Hola. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 50% off a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash collier. Get 50% off at babbel.com slash collier, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Collier. Rules and restrictions may apply. The messages, hundreds of them from a man named Billy Ray Counterman, whom Waylon had never met, continued for years. Some sounding familiar. I'm going to the store. Would you like anything? Others unsettling. I'm currently unsupervised. I know it freaks me out too, but the possibilities are endless. And the alarming. You're not being good for human relations. Die don't need you. There were messages where Mr. Counterman would reference details about where she had been or the vehicle she was driving, who she was hanging out with. What kind of impact did it have on Coles? It's a little hard to talk about. Um, it had a significant impact on her. So that lightheartedness that she used to always carry, sharing that joy with other people, it really got dampened and she became much more protective and afraid. Coles Whalen was so afraid, her sister says, she got a permit to carry a gun, hired a bodyguard for some concerts, and eventually stopped performing in public because of her fear. She declined our request for an interview to protect her privacy and security. Something I don't know if you caught there, but she had also not only hired private security to come and uh, to come to her concerts, but also uh, <clears throat> purchased a firearm. Now, she lives in Colorado. I believe Colorado is an open carry state. I've never, uh, well, I've been to Colorado. <laughs> I've never explored the open carry laws there. But um, that is concerning for a lot of reasons because now, in my opinion, you are opening up a lot of people to saying, hey, we can't do anything about this. We are going to 
now uh, let you, quote, take the law into your own hands. Not that it's illegal for, like I said, someone to purchase a firearm in this country. It's a Second Amendment right. In Colorado, I believe it's an open carry state and handguns and things of that nature. I live in California, which have, this, have the strictest gun laws in the nation, as a lot of you may or may not know. And it's still pretty easy to get a gun, by the way. Um, but uh, uh, by the way, thank you, Kim Shoren, for uh, a super sticker. Appreciate that. Your support is greatly appreciated. But uh, the, the, the feeling is, is among a lot of people that are in this community, um, in true crime and in, uh, that are victims of this, that this encourages <laughs> activities such as taking the law into your own hands or, or, or taking your own personal protection and survival into your own hands, which is, uh, is going to open up another can of worms. And I'm going to continue to play this video because I really want to, I really want to talk about this because it is really affecting me because I think that there are a lot of things that we are, I think a lot of people are very laissez-faire and say, okay, well, it's a stalker. They're dealing with their own issues. It's a, it's his word versus her word and this and that. Unfortunately, with this particular piece of legislation, in my opinion, it's going to open us up to a lot of other things. And that's what I'm going to get into. We're going to play a little bit more of this. And uh, yeah. You convinced that he was out to threaten your sister, if not harm her? We were convinced that he was an unstable individual and his actions would be unpredictable. We felt that he was very dangerous and law enforcement agreed. In 2016, authorities arrested and charged Counterman with stalking serious emotional distress. A jury later convicted him and a judge imposed a sentence of four and a half years behind bars. We have a lot of heated speech online. Uh, and the First Amendment does not allow the government to make that a crime. Jay Schweikert is an attorney at the Cato Institute, one of several groups, including the ACLU, that say punishing countermen was wrong. No one's here defending the messages that he was sending as model behavior for how to communicate with the public figure. It's whether it constituted a threat for which he could be put in prison for four and a half years. The first Now, I do understand a little bit of the point that this uh, lawyer is making, which is that, uh, you know, whether or not it constitutes a threat, right? Now we're going to get into what the, what the Supreme Court's, uh, um, what they are constituting as a threat or, or knowing <laughs> that someone is actually initiating a threat, which is, which is, I think the issue at hand. Um, but uh, again, <laughs> I think it is very, I think based upon the messages that we just saw, which is, you know, okay, anywhere from, hey, I'm going to go to the grocery store. Do you need anything? To, to, oh, I saw you driving and in your white Jeep. And, oh, why were you at this place? To, you don't need to be on this earth anymore. I think any reasonable person would assume that those are threatening statements to them. And anyone making those statements who is operating in their right mind <laughs> understands that those can be taken as threatening statements. But we're going to continue with this. First Amendment protects most speech, but not libel, obscenity, or what the Supreme Court has called true threats. Those can result in prosecution. As the justices take up Counterman's appeal, they're set to clarify when a threat becomes a crime. The question here is whether you have to prove intent before you can put someone in prison for making a true threat. 
Colorado law says threats become illegal when a reasonable person would suffer serious emotional distress from the communications. State Attorney General Phil Weiser says intent doesn't matter. Under Colorado law, the specific intent of the stalker in this case is not the relevant factor. It's whether the victim would reasonably experience the fear of physical violence because the nature of the threats. Counterman, who's already completed his sentence, says he never intended to harm Waylon and that not having to prove intent in court risks essentially criminalizing misunderstandings. Okay, so this is my probably my biggest issue with this guy's case. <laughs> he never intended to carry through with his actions. Then why would you say that? Now, I have talked about a lot on my program about um, about uh, barking dogs don't bite. A, a mobster had said that to me years ago. Sort of like people don't forecast their moves and they do it usually. But there are also people that are that are very unstable that do do those types of things. Um, this gentleman's argument that he was not going to do anything. Then why was he doing what he was doing? Because he had to have known that he was inflicting terror and suffering on Miss Whalen. I don't understand how that's, uh, um, how, how if, if he's a reasonable person, how he doesn't understand that. And if this was his sister or his, or his wife or his mother, would he react the same way? Probably not, uh, or at least I hope not. Um, so I think that, it is very, um, it is, it's very interesting. And again, it assumes a lot. And I think that we can all, and look, this, this is, you know, I, I don't engage on polit in politics on this, um, on this channel. Um, I might, <laughs> I might start doing it on my Patreon. I do that for the sake of all of you, because I can really get down a rabbit hole politically, um, on both sides. But I think that whether or not you are, a, a right a left or a right person or a centrist or whatever I think that we can all agree that leaving certain people up to their own devices to do what is right or do what is um, it, what is a good thing to do a lot of times falls short or to use their best judgment is um, th that at least a lot to be desired at least in my opinion when you <laughs> when you involve the good judgment of other people. So um, again, this makes a lot of assumptions to be able to retract this, this conviction and to rule in this way. I'm going to continue with the video. I'm glad that you guys are enjoying this, uh, my, new little, <laughs> my new little toy, which is allowing all this to be much easier. Uh, but here we go. Why shouldn't the intent of the person speaking matter? In the case of stalking, Stalkers are often oblivious to reality. And if you require the state to have to show that they understood that their words were threatening and creating this fear of physical violence, you could actually let a lot of stalkers go. Experts say it's a balancing act for law enforcement in the digital age. How do you respond to critics who say this law could have a real chilling effect on speech? We have not seen a chilling in speech. This case is about establishing a precedent that will govern not just the law of stalking, but cases of domestic violence, threats against schools or houses of worship, and many other contexts. Now. <laughs> 
This is what I wanted to get into. And we're going to listen to this other attorney, this um, <laughs> dissenting opinion or whatever you want to call it, uh, contrasting opinion of this other attorney in a second. But this is the key point. Houses of worship, schools, DV. If someone is going to just, I think that we can all imagine, and this is YouTube, so I got to be careful how I choose my words, but... <clears throat> I think that we can all imagine what the potential implications of this can affect and the ramifications can be. Something as simple as calling in what you perceive to be a threat could then therefore be considered a violation of someone's civil rights or freedom of speech. Doesn't matter if they have an arsenal the size of uh, Fort Bragg in the back of their pickup truck. They have to show intent on what they're doing and that might not be good enough so i think i think if we if we look at this and we take this as a broader sort of picture again this is my opinion but i think if we look at this as a broader picture of the potential implications of a ruling like this that says we're going to take into effect of what the person's intent was well they didn't really mean to do that even though they said they were going to do that they didn't really mean it at what point do you draw the line? And at what point does that potential, um, that threat of a threat, <laughs> at what point does that end up, uh, if that becomes something that is a threat that is acted upon, at what point do people turn around and then point the finger at law enforcement, point the finger at the judicial system, point the finger at the person for not reporting? Because let's just take this to another example, right? In the Idaho 4 case, I posted a video two weeks ago I had on my program, uh, uh, Jody Weber. She was on last week as well. Jody Weber, she's a former FBI agent. And we were discussing the roommates, the surviving roommates who did not call 911 or didn't call 911 in a timely manner. And I have my own opinions on that. I think they were probably still drunk. <laughs> I think it's a party house, right? But um and you don't want to be the kid that calls the cops in the party house. Sorry, it's just we all when you go to college, you want to be that person. But let's say they did. Could that that action? Now there was obviously something that that occurred, but could it be twisted in the judicial system that that was a violation of civil rights, or that because they maybe had seen? let's say the suspect in the Idaho four murders, Brian Koberger driving by posting pictures of a weapon saying they were going to do something. They were going to hurt someone, but then they didn't call nine one one or they did call nine one one. And that person was arrested because that overturned a conviction. It, it's interesting to see what kind of a can of worms that this type of thing uh, um, opens up. This, this is my opinion. This is sort of where my head goes. A lot, and I'm, I'm being kind of candid here for lack of having a, a guest. I'm debating our, our ABC news people here. But I, I think that, it, it, that this really prov provokes thought of like what could really, what really could occur. Where, where, where do you draw the line <laughs> if you're saying, well, they have to have an, an intent? Because obviously you have, to have, you have to prove motive and things like that to bring someone to trial. You have to prove motive to arrest someone, right? And you have to have probable cause and things of that nature to indict people, right? But, <laughs> so you can't just say, oh, I think that they were going to do something. But if somebody is saying they're going to do something and then they have the means to carry it out, at what point do you stop 
Do you wait until, and there's already enough of this when it comes to DV, when it comes to stalking, when it comes to SA, there is already enough of this that goes on where people say, well, you know what? As when I was speaking to this young lady yesterday with Tara Newell and Survivor Squad, she said, they said, come back when he does something to you. Come back when he would attempt, makes an attempt. Come back when he kills you. It's scary to think about. It's really, really scary to think about. Again, let's go back to this lawyer. If the Supreme Court upholds this conviction, then a huge swath of online speech is open to potential criminal prosecution. As the high court now takes up the debate, the Whalen family says they hope the justices don't reopen old wounds. It will continue to re-victimize them, obviously. So the, the court handed down its decision yesterday, and um, I love to hear what you guys think here in the comments below because I, again, am very, very concerned about this because there is already a... I'll just give you a perfect example. My mother comes to you know, says to me... Um, my mother comes to me and says, you know, if something ever happens to me, your father probably had me killed, right? I was 11 years old when she told me this. Obviously, five, six weeks later, her life was taken by my father. A lot of people in comments, in messages to me will often say, uh, including including those that, uh, that um, try to, that violate the parasocial relationships and, and take up and, and uh, stalk me. <laughs> um, they will make comments about how my mother didn't protect herself, didn't protect me, stuck around when there was credible threats to her life, or she felt. Okay, so there is a there is a case when my mother, in, who didn't go to law enforcement, right, but her life was taken. Um, if she goes to law enforcement, and law enforcement already doesn't take you seriously, then they say, well, per this Supreme Court ruling, we really, now that we really, before we really couldn't go after them, now we really can't go after them because we don't know if their intent is to actually carry out the threat that they've said. Now, this is something that is very, and, and this, you know, obviously this is a state law that they have in, Cal, in Colorado, but now this is the Supreme Court ruling over this state law and this man's conviction, right? So now you have a situation where, and, and I'll give you an example. I have a friend of mine who was arrested in 2009 or 10. Dear friend of mine, but he has a very bad temper. And he got very angry at a gas station attendant one time. And I think he probably said, I'm, you know, uh, and he threatened them. Now, this person obviously th had no intention of doing this. He just has a rage problem. And I remember being called by his by his girlfriend because um, as I was like, oh, is my friend so-and-so there? And I won't mention their name because I'm going to probably have them on the program at some point. So I don't, I don't want to taint that. But he had said to the gas station uh, attendant, I'm going to kill you. Uh, he was so angry. And it was over like the pump not working. It was something very, very stupid. And he went home and he was sleeping and he was n naked and the, the police came to the door and he answered the door, but he, he didn't know who it was. He lived in a very nice building, but the police were there and they said, and they arrested him right then and there. They let him put his clothes on, but they arrested him for making a terrorist threat. Okay. So that is something that was taken very seriously because this person thought, and, and again, my friend, no one in their right mind, they know he's a rage of No one in their right mind would have gone, oh yeah, okay, uh, Jeff. Use, call him Jeff. 
uh, Jeff, there's no way that uh, you're actually going to carry through this because we, we know you. However, he was still carted off to jail by the, by the sheriff's department in West Hollywood and, and, and spent the night in jail. I mean, he was bailed out, but it was, a, it was a legit serious thing he had to deal with. He had to go to court. It was a whole thing. It cost tens of thousands of dollars, all because he got angry about the gas pump not working or taking his credit card. Something absolutely ridiculous. Nowadays, you know, that was a very credible, that, that person took that as a credible threat. So now if somebody actually is mentally unstable or is, is in a position where they want to do that, how is that, how is it possible? So I, I think you guys are kind of seeing what my point is here. And, and perhaps uh, I will, you know, I really wish I was engaging with someone about this, but, um, but unfortunately that is not the case today, but um, I will engage with y'all. But I think this is, this really poses a lot of questions as to what, uh, and where the far-reaching boundaries of these of this lies. Um, so there was a tweet by Dr. Marianne Franks uh, on Twitter yesterday, and it says, the gist of the counterman decision the Supreme Court has just decreed that stalking is free speech protected by the First Amendment. If the stalker genuinely believes his actions are non, his or her actions are non-threatening, that is, the more deluded the stalker, the more protect, protected the stalking. And that I think is the most poignant statement to describe what has transacted in the last 48 hours. And again, <laughs> last year, there was a Supreme Court decision that went down that changed the, the arc of um, abortion rights uh, in this country. And there was a scenario where uh, individuals that disagreed with the court's decision had gone and published the addresses of the Supreme Court justices online. They had doxed them, which is a new term that has really come to prominence in the last like five to seven years, I believe. And for those of you who don't know what doxing is, doxing is when you give out people's public information in an attempt to harass them stalk them <laughs> or shame them publicly or whatever. And usually large groups do this. Hate groups do this a lot, uh, obviously. And, um, but it has become more and more commonplace. Uh, it was even, again, to get back to the Idaho 4 case, there was a, a teacher or a professor at the University of Idaho that was suspected in the case by the online sleuths. And therefore, in these Facebook forums and on TikTok, they doxed this person, saying that they were the person who took the lives of those four students. Well, that person is obviously suing now, and rightfully so, because they have nothing to do with this case. That is the severity of this. So again, with these justices that have had themselves doxed <laughs> publicly, is that not free speech? If I give out your address and say, meet me at their house... Is that not free speech? Because that's that is apparently what they are saying. Because my intent might might just be to to walk down the street. Now, obviously, I think anyone in their in their right mind, when they put the address of a public official that is ruled in a case that didn't go in their favor or went in their favor or whatever, that it, it encourages or incites. It can be used as inciting certain things, right? We all saw a massive incitement take place two years ago, two and a half years ago now in the Capitol on January 6th. What are the implications of all of this? Where do we delineate that? So in the opinion of this podcaster, 
I, I feel that um, it is just another blow <laughs> to the cause of protecting our citizens. And um, God, I sound, like, I sound like Tucker Carlson, my God, or somebody. Um, but no, in, in seriousness, I, 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 I really feel like um, that this is something that uh, is really unfortunate. And I think the, the implications, and oftentimes, you know, I, I was in a discussion years and years ago with a friend of mine. And medical marijuana is a big thing that was in California. We had passed Prop 215 in 1996 here. I wasn't even living in the state for medical use of medicinal marijuana. And um, uh, for people who were terminally ill and who faced certain things. Um, and I, um, I remember having this discussion with this person. And, and, you know, so what was that? Obama was president. So this is like 2008, 2009. So we were discussing the Supreme Court. And the conservative, well, I guess Bush would have still been in office because 2009, Obama came, yeah, so this was 2008. Talking about the Supreme Court shifting to more conservative, and he was saying, you know, it's always, a, it's always an interesting position where the laws, be, the more liberal a society becomes, the more stringent a, a Supreme Court seems to go. So it's a system of checks and balances is what makes this country, in my opinion, so great. We have checks and balances that that keep, you know, we have two houses of Congress, we have the legislature, we have the judicial, and we have the executive branch, and they all check each other's power. Or at least that's what we hope, right? In the grand scheme of things, in an altruistic view of our political situation, that's what's supposed to happen. Uh, so the more liberal society gets, the more strict, the potentially or more conservative the court that upholds the, the highest laws in the land becomes, right? This is an interesting case because, again, this is sort of a very liberal interpretation of this particular um, of this particular law, because I think it could be it could be very it could be presumed that they had more they had more intent than just terror. And 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 the, the the bottom line is they were still terrorizing this young woman. This gentleman, Mr. Counterman, was still terrorizing her and was probably clearly aware that he was terrorizing her to the point that she didn't even want to go out of her own house. And then, you know, and, and again, it's, it is, you know, I, I'm getting ready to speak at a conference in a few months and, and uh, um, both Tara Newell and I are going there for a Survivor Squad. And we were talking about the event. We were talking, we got into talking about the security at the event and things. And I always thought to bring up with the organizers, like, do we need to bring a list? Because this is what happens when, and I'm not this person, but like to people like Taylor Swift or Billie Eilish, like these people often will go and, to events and, and do the Grammys or, or whatever. And they have their team brings literally with them a list of people who are on their, their naughty list or the do not admit list or whoever this is with photographs saying, this is this person, this is who they are. This is what they've done to them. Billie Eilish had somebody break into her house, I believe twice this year. Um, you know, uh, and, and they live in, in a fear. And as you get more and more, uh, become a public figure, you live in, you know, you, hopefully you don't live in fear, but you do, it, it is sort of natural for people to gravitate towards you and then out come the crazies, if you will. I mean, not to be insensitive, but that's the truth. So they come to events and they say, this is the, this is the people, the, the, the do not admit list, the naughty list don't let these people in because they're a menace to, to our talent or our people or our speaker or whoever. Right. So, um, but those are people that have millions upon millions of dollars and have earned significant amounts of money and have massive security details 
and still have to do this, by the way, with their massive security details, but also probably have connections with law enforcement are going to very public events that have obviously law enforcement looking over. If you go to any events in Hollywood, there's always law, law enforcement presence at these events and streets are blocked off and things of that nature. And still they're afraid. So you have that, uh, that sort of playing out. And I, rem I just remember thinking like, do I need to give a list of these people to these event organizers? Because this is concerning to me. And then you have this, this poor woman, this uh, Coles Whalen, who literally stopped performing because of this. And I guarantee that she was not making millions and millions of dollars and had, for, for her to probably hire a private security person or go out and purchase some sort of um, protection uh, that was an expensive thing for them to purchase. And ultimately, and as someone who goes, who went to music school, has a guitar sitting over his shoulder. It's coming, by the way. I know you guys are thinking it. There is music coming on this program very soon. Um, you know, having that dream and having that, and, and just to be able to go out and perform and have people come to see you and have that engagement with an audience and then have someone ruin all that is so detrimental to not only your personal well-being but also your psyche and also to the audience I mean, if i think about it this if i stopped doing this program because people were coming after me uh non-stop or i felt that my life was um uh in danger and somehow uh, i think a lot of you would be upset about that too um or at least i hope you would be <laughs> um but uh you know to say that for this man to say oh well it's you know it wasn't my intent i think is um utterly fanciful um, and maybe in his mind, he wasn't going to take her life, but he certainly was very determined for whatever reason to make her life a living hell. Anyways, I digress from this point. Let me know what you guys think in the comments below. I'm going to get to them in the, here in a second, but that's my sort of, that is my 42 minute diatribe on the Supreme Court's recent decision in the stalking case. And I'm going to talk about this tomorrow too. Uh, by the way, tomorrow I will be live at noon, um, noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time, because I will be on Australian television on the Today Show with Tara Newell discussing our new podcast, The Survivor Squad, and sharing that with Australian audiences. Looking forward to that, but uh, that is, uh, no, I'm not flying to Australia. Uh, but I have to go to a studio in Hollywood, so I won't be able to do this program at 3, like I normally do, 3 Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern. So you guys can either catch the replay or catch it early. It'll be, well, it'll be lunchtime here on the West Coast, so it'll be, um, it will be, uh, uh, you know, midday for you guys on the East Coast. Uh, but you can check out the replays. As always, you can check out the audio version of the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. And sadly, Stitcher is going to be gone from all podcasting platforms. They sent a... Uh, notice out to all podcasters that they are deactivating their platform on August 31st, 2023, which is wild to me, but Stitcher, um, end of an era because they were one of the first podcast um, uh, broadcasting hubs, uh, um, uh, aggregators or, you know, um, outside of Apple. So pretty interesting or iTunes at that time. You know, now it's Apple podcasts. Uh, so interesting. Um, so, uh, yeah, a new episode of Survivor Squad comes out tomorrow. Madeline Heather is our guest. She is a host of the Reclaim Me podcast. I want to get into talking a little bit about, uh, Brian Koberger in this, this situation with this death penalty in this case. Um, but I do want to mention, uh, for those of you moving past trauma is the name of this program. It is also the name of the coaching program that Tara Newell and I do. We are doing, uh, a coaching event 
this Saturday, 11 a.m. Pacific to 1 p.m. So that would be 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, uh, I believe. And um, come check it out. Tickets are $40. There is a code. I think Tara will put it in the notes of today's episode uh, here in the live chat. But you guys can join. It is a really great program. Uh, for those of you that are, uh, we, we share our, uh, Tara, f- for you, for you guys that may or may not know, she writes her own, um, trauma journals and she's actually getting ready to release them on, uh, Amazon. And, uh, so we'll be going over some of the things that she's worked on my personal process of dealing with this. It's a great way to spend your Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon with us or midday Saturday, um, and learn a little bit about our process of healing from trauma and what we've been through ask us all kinds of questions, all of those things. Um, so yeah, uh, that is what's going on on Saturday. So I want to talk a little bit about this Brian Koberger thing because this is um, this is interesting because it, it really takes me back to, I remember I was in ninth grade student government. So I was a freshman in high school. And God, what was my professor's name, my teacher's name? He, his first name was Jason. God, what was his name? He was like a young hip guy. He was like his late, like mid to late thirties, super cool, like played basketball, helped like was an assistant coach of the basketball team. Super cool, young, hip, hip dude. If you're listening, you know who you are. Um, but we got into debating the death penalty in the class. And I remember waiting after class with him. Um, can you put workshop in the comments? I'm going to ask Tara to put the code for the comments. Code for the workshop in the comments. Um, God, what was his name? So we got into this debate in my ninth grade government class about the death penalty. And I remember I pull after class, I stayed after class because I would often do that as a high school kid. I was one of those nerdy because it was like, I think it was either at the, yeah, it was at the end of the day. So I didn't have anywhere to go. And um, I, uh, I would stay after class and I would uh, talk to him and um, like I did with a lot of my teachers, and I kind of think, think back on it now, it was probably super annoying. If you were a teacher in my life and you had to tolerate my like incessant, you know, because I was a kid tra- processing a lot of trauma at that time, I'm sure you guys can uh, understand. So I would talk to my teachers a lot. I only just, just I, I would just talk to and engage in people because a lot of times they weren't sitting there asking me questions about me. They were, we were talking about other things that had nothing to do with me, which is what was really interesting to me. So it was like sort of like a little bit of um, a sense of normalcy in my life uh, with an adult figure because they weren't going to sit there. Uh, oftentimes as a child or a, a young adult, when I would go out in public, people wanted to ask me, obviously, about the murder of my mother by my father and the whole case and this, that. I was a witness, yada, yada. Talk about this. Let's talk about this, which was one of the ways that I processed my trauma. But another way that I did this is I talked to people about normal things that had nothing to do with that. And I engaged with adults in doing that. And that was my thing because I didn't want to talk about it all the time. And a lot of times talking about something normal, so you don't think about that. But we were engaged about a discussion on the death penalty. And I could tell that as we were talking about in the class that he kept looking at me because he was, um, you know, wait, what do you do? Like, this is a guy, a kid whose father took the life of his mother. And what, what are you like, how do I approach this, this, this guy? Like, you know, it's, it's awkward. It's awkward. I'm sure (laughs) it would be awkward for me. It was awkward for him, but I could sense that. And I stayed after class and I was talking to him and I said, Mr. Whatever your name was, um, I said, uh, I said, 
you know, it's hard for me to to argue against the death penalty because if that's the if that's the precedent for the law, and my father was obviously did not have the death penalty, and I think part of it was I, I don't know if it was it, it was just not a capital capital case because it was premeditated or aggravated murder as they call it in Ohio, which is premeditated, um, but uh, or or he didn't they didn't do it because. Obviously, I was alive. I had a sister that was born 12 days before my father was arrested, so I have a half-sister. Um, and uh, I think that that was maybe perhaps why they didn't, if they if they were able to. Um, but uh, I said, you know, I would have, if I'm a true believer in the justice system in the United States and a true, um, and, and truly someone who is passionate about the about our, our our rights and the bill of rights and and about the 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 justice system and 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 preventing these types of crimes i can't be against the death penalty in one i can't be for the death penalty in one case and against it in another because there's no consistency i like to be consistent at least in my cogent analysis of things i like to be <laughs> i like to there to be a le, a level of consistency and um I was very much concerned with that. And I think that, uh, that, that discussion really kind of took him off guard, but I said, you know, I, I can't be against it because if, if that's what the justice system says, that's what the justice system says. And at the time I wasn't, you know, exactly thrilled with my father anyways, but I most certainly didn't want to see yet another senseless life be taken. But you know, I said, if that had happened, I would have had to have just dealt with it. And um, I know that it pre presents, a, uh, and it's also a massively divisive issue in this country with the death penalty, but they're apparently seeking the death penalty um, towards Brian Koberger. And um, I don't, it, you know, there was a lot of speculation that they were going to do this with Lori Vallow. They didn't. Now they're talking about maybe they might do it against Chad Daybell. I don't know. Or Lori Vallow might face it in the trial of her, um, of her, uh, of the of the murder of her fur. Well, not her first husband, but her third husband or whatever. The husband before Chad Daybell, Charles, um, Charles Vallow. So um, it's interesting to think about that uh and how is the, is the taking of another life because of the taking of four other lives justified i don't know i don't know how these things play out oftentimes it's not um it is not a way it, it, you know it, it it plays out in a way that is very convoluted and you know gets the can gets kicked down the road for years even decades and um there are a lot of cases you know that have that have been exonerated in the united states where people have been on death row that were then found not guilty or new evidence had come out or evidence was suppressed during trial so it will be really interesting to see how that this all plays out and what happens now maybe there's been an update since i looked at this yesterday but maybe there is something um like that uh and i would agree kiki on the beach i would think very much so it would be a lot more difficult to sit and deal with the ramifications and the um the impact of your poor decision making 
versus just having it over in an instant. There was recently somebody who uh, I had seen that, that actually had asked for the death penalty. They wanted to die for their crimes. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very sad. It's a very unfortunate predicament to believe in. Oh, yes, Chad Doerman is also facing. So for those of you who don't know, he is the family annihilator in Ohio. Great. Another Ohioan in the news for all the wrong reasons. Um, and I discussed that last week with Jody Weber when she joined the program, but it was, um, you know, it's one of those things. Uh, it's just really terrible, <laughs> really, really terrible. Uh, I do not see the code Tara, but what do you guys think? Let's let me know in the comments below what you guys are uh, what you guys are thinking about the this Koberger case and yeah the Chad the Chad Doerman thing is also really sad because um, and then he's crying in court and I don't really know if those are crocodile tears or not he looked quite upset I think um, you know it, it it poses a question of people's mental mental state when they uh, perpetrate these crimes. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that there is again, a delineation between psychopathy and just completely acting out of character. Um, I think that a lot of the evidence in the Doberman case suggests that there's a lot of psychopathy and, and sort of viciousness behind that, but, um, we will see, I mean, he can, he confessed to it. So, uh, we know he did it and, um, it's pretty, pretty unfortunate. I really wish that we don't have to have these conversations though. That would be a much better thing is to not discuss someone annihilating their family, taking the lives of innocent children, um, and, and stalking people. I don't really, I don't really like any of these conversations, but I think that they do really raise a level of awareness to all of this that we all need to operate with a form of compassion and understanding um, so we can, you know, be able to really, um, navigate our lives in a positive way and for positive change, which is what this program is all about, which I think you guys all understand that, that that's why I'm here to sort of try to, you know, I don't know, silver linings, a lot of this and let you know that, Hey, you can still be here and go through all of this. <laughs> You might be a little off your rocker sometimes, but uh, you can be here and you can be a good person and hopefully have a positive impact on the world, which I feel like is, is starting to happen. And now that I have this new device, which allows me to be able to do these really cool creative things with this program, thank you to all my channel supporters, my channel members, my super stickers, super chat purchasers, um, my Patreon patrons. All of you, you're amazing. We've had a, I've had a, 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 a surge in my YouTube views this month. Thank you all so much. Please continue to like and share and subscribe. You can check me out. I will be on, um, I will be on a podcast tomorrow uh, called um, Murdaugh Impact of Influence. It is one of the many Murdaugh podcasts, but they are interviewing me about um, my thoughts on Buster Murdaugh, who is the surviving son of uh, Alex Murdaugh and Maggie Murdaugh. Um, as you know, 
Paul Jr. or Paul Murdaugh, the younger, his younger brother and his mother, Maggie, were murdered by uh, Alec Murdaugh, who is incarcerated currently and, and going to be tried very soon again for financial crimes and all kinds of just really bad malfeasance, if you will. Um, but I will be on that podcast. I believe tomorrow they premiere their episode. So check me out on that. I will share all of that on my Twitter, all my socials and everything. But on that note, um, I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Trauma. Thanks, y'all. This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. For exclusive content around this podcast, please consider supporting me via Patreon by going to collierlandry.com forward slash support. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please leave us a five-star review. If you want to see video episodes of this podcast, please check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Collier Landry. You can find links to additional resources in the show notes of today's episode. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio. Copyright Collier Landry.